moment that I get when you receive an awesome gift, you play your guts out, right? You go all in, you go for it because it is so amazing that you would have the opportunity to, to get to be a part of this thing. And, and with God, with what he's done for us and bringing us into his family, into his church, he's given us an opportunity where out of thankfulness, out of being so amazed that God would invite us into a relationship with him, we live a life that's worthy of what we've received in response. Not to continue to earn salvation or earn God's love or anything like that, but as a response because of how good He is and what He has done. So Paul goes on from there and he says, but this is what it looks like to live a life that's worthy of the calling, of the identity that you received. And it's not necessarily a list that I would come up with of what I would feel like is worthy if, if, I, if someone would be like, Matt, how do you live a life that's worthy of the identity that God's given you? Paul says some interesting things. He says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient. All really easy things, right? Bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. He talks about these traits that we should have. Being humble. Being patient. Even with your brother or sister. Bearing with one another in love. So when, even when hard things happen, we work through those things in love together. That's the type of people that show that we've received an awesome gift and, and we, through God's spirit living in his people, we're, we're a people that are about peace too. Remember, peace with God and as much as possible for us, peace with other people as well. Ephesians 4.4, 4, Paul says this, there is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one uh, sorry, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. A lot of the word one and a lot of the word all. This is the first time we get this picture where Paul's saying all Christians, all believers are a part of one body. We're going to talk more about this tomorrow, but the Bible uses this analogy of like, we're like a human body where all the parts make up the human body, where you need, uh, you need all the different tendons, you need all the different ligaments, you need all the different muscles, you need fingers, you need toes, you need eyes, and there's different parts, but collectively together, they make up one form, or like a body of water, all the different drops form the ocean. And it's no longer about individual drops of water, but it's about the collective, a lake or an ocean. And Paul is saying that, that you are one body together, lots of different parts, but together as Christ followers, one. And he keeps talking about the oneness that there is, that there's one God, there's one faith, one baptism. And then later, if you skip ahead, he, he's talking about Jesus and what Jesus has, has done and what, what he's done for us. And then look at verse 11 with me. 
It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. So he's talking about different roles in the church, different gifts that people have that they can share with the rest of the body. But this is the next part I really want us to catch. So verse 12, and and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach the unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Paul talks about all these different parts that make up a church, that there's, there's different people that have different gifts or different roles, and all of it is to build up the body of believers all the Christians to prepare them for service, to, protect, to prepare them, um, it says, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. And so we're to, we're to serve one another. Like what we just did with the car wash, right? When we are in a spot where we're being built up in who Jesus is, we know our identity and we know, um, we know who God is and what he's done for us, we then pour that out on other people as well. When we gather on Wednesdays or Sundays, it's preparing us for, for doing good works in the world to reflect Jesus. And we don't just serve fellow believers. That's a big part of what the Bible talks about. Actually, at one spot, it says, hey, Christians, if you can't even love and serve one another... How could you ever expect to love and serve people who don't belong to the church, who, who aren't Christians, right? There's, there's an emphasis the Bible has that, that we're to work really hard at loving one another, to make, make every effort to do that with each other. And so then we're more prepared, too, to love other people who, who aren't believers as well. The Bible talks a lot about who we, or who we should serve and what we should do to serve people. But, um, but some of, and we'll talk about some of those things tomorrow, but we're focusing on how we should serve people. Like the posture or the heart that we should have going into it. I don't know about you, but when my parents would ask me to do the dishes when I was younger, I didn't always have a heart or posture that was like, yes, mother and father, I would love to do that for you. Thanks for asking me, right? It was kind of like, oh, okay, I know I have to. And that doesn't always, I don't think that's what Paul's talking about here. If he's like, the body's to be prepared to serve, and we're like, oh, okay, Paul, if I have to, geez, right? No, that's not what Paul's saying. There's something deeper here. There's a how that's really important. So turn in your Bibles now, just like two pages to the right, to Philippians. The book of Philippians, chapter 2. This is one of my favorite passages. Philippians, chapter 2. Starting at verse 1. Uh, no. I'm in Colossians. That's not good. I told you it wasn't very far. Okay, starting at verse 1. 
if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, and he's going to say a bunch of ifs here. So it's kind of, I don't know exactly how Paul said this when he was first writing it, but it's kind of like he's, he's doing this leading thing. He's like, so if this is true, if that is true. And then as the reader or listener is hearing it, they're like, ooh, that is true. Ooh, I think that's true. So this is what he's doing. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete. By being like-minded, having the same love, and being one in spirit and purpose. This next part gets really intense. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Paul says, take on the same attitude of Jesus. Live like Jesus lived. Have the same how, the same why behind it that Jesus had when we serve other people. And there's two things that really stand out to me when I read this that are not so easy. The first is do nothing out of selfish ambition. Yikes. I don't know about you. But there are certain situations where I know I am pretty selfish. I actually really didn't think I was that selfish of a person. I thought I was really giving and really like considerate of others until I got married and realized just how selfish I was. That I wanted to do things my way on my time, even when it came to like choosing what movie we were gonna watch, I would rather watch the Avengers every day of the week and not a rom-com <laughs> and I most of the time I what's funny I would never be very outright with it of like I don't want to watch that I want to do this I would try to like weasel my way of like oh we could maybe do this thing if you want I mean I don't really like I would try to make it seem like I'm not selfish I just really want to watch this movie right and sometimes we realize in certain situations we're really thinking about only ourselves Think about yesterday with the Water Olympics. As your team was competing against another team, how many of you were like, you know what? It would be awesome if my team wins, but what I want more is the other team to win. Never. What? Never. <laughs> that's hard, right? And I'm not necessarily saying that you are all being selfish because that's what you were told to do was to win. But I think there is an attitude. I'm pretty competitive. Sometimes competition can be really selfish. I have a friend that I play board games with. He is just as happy for me when I win, and he celebrates my victory with me as when he does. It's crazy. I've never seen someone be so excited when I make a good move or have a good turn. He's so excited. He's like, oh, man, that was awesome. So much more fun playing a board game with someone like that than someone like, oh, you're stupid, and flips the board, right? Like, you're the worst, I hate this game, you know, or whatever, right? That just, that just ruins relationship. And it isn't really fun 
for anybody. Can you imagine doing nothing out of selfishness? Thinking others, thinking of others first all the time. That's how Jesus lived. Jesus left paradise. He left perfection. And he came down to a broken earth. He put all of us, all of humanity first before himself. And we're invited to have that same characteristic. It's not easy. But we ask God to help us with that. The, the other thing then, it says, in humility, consider others better than yourselves. That's another hard one. A lot of the time, how we view others, and we don't, we don't necessarily always mean to, but we compare. And we try to figure out where we stand. And we look at the people who do the bad stuff, and we're like, at least I'm here and they're down there. I'm not as bad as them. I don't know if you think of kids at your school or, or maybe you do that with your sibling. It's just a game of trying not to be the worst one <laughs> at home. I did that with my sister. That's for sure. But what Paul's encouraging us to do instead of comparing and being, not trying to be the worst, but actually to try to consider others as more valuable, more important than, our, than ourselves. What our world tells us to do is look out for number one. Take care of yourself. Live your truth or, or whatever it might be. But, but what Jesus invites us to do is to love your neighbor as yourself. Even to love your enemies. The people that want to do harm to you. Jesus says, love them. Serve them. Because that's what I did. All of us were enemies of God when we were in our sin and we weren't choosing him. And yet he loved us and gave his life for us. It's a reversal of, of power. The people that should be like at the top, they lower themselves as servants beneath those people and serve them even when they don't deserve it. And that is not easy to do. Um, I've got my Plato right here. And I was thinking about still... Form, formation, right, and how we're formed and the form that we take. We've talked a lot about like the negative ways that we can be formed, where the Plato can just be tossed around and impacted by circumstances or, or someone that hurts you or tells you this is what you have to do to be happy. What God does with his people, with his church, is when we come in contact with people who are like this Plato too, and we serve we do nothing out of selfish ambition, but we consider them better than ourselves. There is an impression that's made on them, but it's an impression of what God is like. That's part of when we share the gospel or talk to people about Jesus, they look at how we live too and see if how we live matches what we're preaching. We're actually leaving, just as Jesus has left an imprint on us and is forming us into being his people, then as we serve others, we leave an imprint on them as well of Christ and what God is like. That in the same way as he served us, we want to serve them, even if it's as, as simple as washing cars, 
Even if it's as simple as letting someone else choose what movie you watch. Even if it's as simple as noticing somebody that doesn't have anyone to sit with and choosing to sit with them. Even it's as, if it's as simple as giving... Oh, I was going to say this. This was pretty cool, actually. A couple nights ago, um, during the carnival, some of you, one of the first things you did when you had a ton of tickets is you bought something for someone else. Justin did that, actually, I remember. Uh, several of you did. But Justin bought his friend's ice cream sandwiches with the tickets he had. I thought that was so cool, right? That one of the first things that you want to do is, like, do something for someone else. And, and we, there's this, like, state that we just know this is a good thing, right? We love to, we love to serve people when it's convenient for us, usually, right? But, but we know inherently that that's a good thing, and that's because that's the way God made it. He made us as people to serve one another, to put one another before ourselves. Can you imagine if we lived in a world where everyone bought into that and did that? Oh my gosh, there would be no war. There would be no violence, if we actually considered every other person on the planet more important than us and served each other, there'd be no hate. We would all be friends. We would all get to share all the coolest toys and movies and clothes and stuff because it's like, oh, yeah, I have this too. Let me share it, right? That, no one would be hungry. If we actually took this to heart, if the whole world did, because that's the way God designed it. I'm going to let you guys in on a little secret. You may not believe me, but trust me, it's true. It's better to be on youth staff than it is to be a student at youth group. And it's not just because we're adults and we make the rules or whatever. No, by far, it is better to be on youth staff than it is to be a student. Let me explain. When I was a student, and we talked about this kind of with the Red Robin thing yesterday. When I came to youth group, I just cared about me. Am I playing fun games? And am I singing the songs I like? And is the lesson connecting with me in the way I want it to? And are my friends there? It was just all about me. I'm not saying each and every one of you does that. But I think, I think in our, if we're honest with ourselves, we just tend to lean towards that, right? When we come to something, we want to receive something that entertains us or that we like. When I first served at ETV as a counselor, all of a sudden it wasn't about me anymore. I had a group of high school guys. Christian was one of them. As an incoming freshman, he had a really squeaky voice. Um, and, and it wasn't about me anymore. And instead, I was listening to all these guys share about their life and what they believed and what they struggled with. And I didn't feel like I had anything to offer other than to just trust that God loved them and that he had put me there on purpose to listen and to love them too. Camp is way more fun serving students. Youth group would not be fun for me at all if none of you students were here. That would be a huge bummer. We don't do it as adults just to hang out together. We love to serve you guys. And we love to point you to Jesus and, and really listen and hear where you're at. That's why these adults take a night out of their week every week to be at this place. I don't make them. I kind of try to sometimes. But they choose to be here to serve you. And sometimes it's cool. There's, uh, there's several of your leaders here and other leaders that were students in this youth group, and now they're leading. And I just want to talk about two really quick. The most, most recent, besides Max, the most recent converts from student to, to staff. There's Brandon and there's Shelby. And so Brandon 
in Shelby, something that's similar about them, when they were students, they understood, they got this serving thing to some degree. So much so that it was a really natural and easy thing for them to come on youth staff and start serving when they did. Brandon, when he was a senior, pretty much every Wednesday helped me set up the games, set up the chairs, and do all the work that nobody ever notices on a Wednesday go down and nobody ever gets credit for. And Brandon did that every Wednesday and has continued to help me pretty much any time I ask him to. And he did that. He didn't get paid. He didn't do anything. He just came to help. That was a way that Brandon served kind of behind the scenes without any attention drawn to himself. Shelby served in a different way. Shelby was so good. I remember one of her leaders called her a people collector because she just would invite friend after friend after friend. Shelby came to youth group since sixth grade, and she knew this was a place was, that was home, that was community, that she was loved, that she got to grow in her relationship with God, and she just wanted anybody and everybody to share that. People that believed in God, people that didn't, too. And so each week it was like, oh, Shelby brought somebody new. Awesome. They're here now. And some of those friends are now following Jesus who weren't before that. And then now it's just so natural for them to be on youth staff to continue to serve in the ways that they do because they love the Lord and they want you to know the love of God too. So that's the secret. It's better to be on youth staff. But the thing is, you guys can experience some of that now if you choose to do that with each other, if you choose to serve, do the little things even that nobody notices. Because God sees it. God knows what's in your heart. And it's not to earn anything. It's not to earn our approval or our respect or our love. It's not to earn God's respect or love. But if, like Paul says here, if you've received comfort, if you've received love, if you share in this community, if you share in the spirit, then there's joy in this thing. To serve this way, there's joy in living this way together because it's the way that God intended. I'm going to wrap up with this. I want to read... Um... Oh, no. I'll, I'll actually wrap up with this. The thing here is that we struggle to do this. It's not easy. Like me saying this, like you could be like, that sounds great, Matt, but you don't know the people I live with. Or you don't know the people I go to school with. Or you don't even know the, the incoming sixth graders like I do. Or you don't know the senior guys like I do at this youth group. Or the girls. Right? There's just some people that are tough for us to consider better than ourselves at times. And usually, um, usually... It's, it's, it's like what we were talking about yesterday. That's where God wants to do that extreme makeover, right, in us. Where it's not like this just comes naturally to you. But God wants to change you. God wants to make you more like Jesus. As If you acknowledge, this person is hard for me to do this with. Or this group of people is hard for me to do this with. For whatever reason, God wants to work in that. And give you confidence. And help you in that. And make you knew. Maybe you're here and you are like a, uh, in high school and you're like, yeah, I just don't even know how I could serve an incoming sixth grader because we feel so apart, like just in where we're at in life or, or what we're experiencing. How would I even do that? Or maybe you're an incoming sixth grader and you're like, okay, I might serve other middle schoolers, 
But you ask me to serve a senior guy or a senior girl in high school, what would that even look like? The crazy thing is that, that God wants us to see each other as the body of Christ and not see us for our grade, not see us for our social status, but to see us, see each other as, as a body, as a church, as brothers and sisters. And to eat, even when it's hard, even when it's uncomfortable, to choose to love and serve someone. Ephesians, back to Ephesians 5, verse 1 and 2, and this is where we will stop. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, it says this, Be imitators of God. Therefore, there's that word, Therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ has loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. The only reason, guys, that we're able to do this and that God invites us to do this is because God did this himself in Jesus. Jesus who knew no sin. Jesus who was the king of all. Jesus through, who through all things were created. He lowered himself to be a servant and to become sin and to die on the cross so that we might have the life and the love of God and enjoy it in the ways that God intended. And therefore, because we're his dearly loved children, he invites our lives to be all about love and serving one another and the rest of this world. Let me pray. Lord, um, gosh, this would have been such a world-rocking um, message for me in middle school or high school because I was just so far from, from just understanding that that's what you have us do as people, that that's who you call us to be as your church. And, and I pray for um, my friends here, Lord, that Gosh, as they just think about probably the people that, that would be hard for them to serve or hard for them to love, whether it's people in their home or at school or certain friends or each other um, or strangers, whoever it might be, Lord, that they would trust you with that, that they would call out to you, God, and ask for your help there so that we might be imitators of you, Lord. We thank you that you don't just hang us out to dry um, and that you just tell us to earn it or to just get better, but you keep serving us by, by making us a new creation in Christ. Pray for our time in groups right now as we do that for a little bit. Pray we wouldn't be too cold as it starts to get a little chilly. Um, and that conversations would be really good. In your name, amen.